We turn to the book of Mark this morning. Under Bibles, we're going to continue to see how Mark presents the proof of Jesus being the Son of God. He's our very Lord and Savior, guys. We get to see His personality and His very being in here as a, as a human. And I think we should be in awe. Every time we turn to a Scripture, as we turn in here to this particular Gospel this morning, the book of Mark, we see the authority that Jesus has. We know He has authority. And we'll see it, uh, His authority over demons and sicknesses and over every aspect of life. Uh, he's a sovereign God. What a great God. He shows compassion as He has authority. And uh, to think about that, we've been shown much compassion from Him, haven't we? Without that compassion, where would we be? But uh, as He shows compassion here in this text today, He'll prove His deity, His Messiahship once again. We've heard the testimony about Him uh, here in the book of Mark from John the Baptist. And then also from the Father and the Holy Spirit as um, Jesus was being baptized. Uh, what a witness that was, right? What a testimony of who He is. The last time we met, last week, we saw Jesus demonstrate His power and His authority. And it was His authority by casting out a demon from a man that was possessed that He can actually cast out demons. Now that launched a 24-hour period in which Jesus displays His supernatural power. It's just like kind of a, a, a day, a 24-hour period. You remember the show, 24, you know? Uh, this is a 24-hour thing that amazing things happen. I mean, just awesome display that He puts on. Astonishing. He healed diseases of mankind in massive numbers. Huge numbers. Day after day. He did it every day of His three-year ministry that He um, healed people. But behind it all is the very Word of God. Because that's what it's all about. And it's to show who He is and what He's about. It's to show what the kingdom is. And, you know, even though we see a, a lot of uh, healings by Jesus, I mean, it's an immense number, we still have to deal with sin, the consequences of sin, the diseases, and all the terrible stuff that goes on with the world today. And it still affects Christians. Sad to say, I'd like to say, hey, we're already glorified. I'd love to give you that news. I can tell you the good news about the Gospel. But the thing is, Jesus Christ is coming back again. And one day, all of this stuff, this junk that's associated with sin, will be gone. You look in Revelation chapters 21 and 22, where He wipes away all the, the sin, and the sorrow, all the anguish, everything that's there. It's all wrapped up there. Finally, it'll be done. But we still encounter it here today. But it's amazing when you look at the power that Jesus has over the physical realm, physical diseases, illnesses, and then the spiritual realm, the demonic possessions that He encountered day after day, hour after hour it seemed like. And in a summary of one brief day, and we started it last week as we looked at that man possessed, we're going to see countless healings, deliverances, in an amount of hours. just uh, it's, it's hard to imagine and how this went on day after day and what He did. So what we're going to do is take Mark 1, start at verse 29 and go through 39, and uh, we'll see how He does His ministry again. Let's read uh, the text here. Starting verse 29. And immediately, is that our word? <laughs> In the book of Mark, that's a key word. Immediately. After they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And He came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her and she waited on them. Can't wait to get to that. Okay, another section. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to Him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. 
And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Another one. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching, casting out all the demons. Let's pray. Father, as we get into an astonishing, amazing section again, of the great miracle-working supernatural power that Jesus had, and of course He still has. We are just knocked back by the great power and authority and who He really is, and He walked this earth. We praise Him for that. We are in awe because we realize that He did the greatest miracle of all in bringing us salvation. And our sins have been forgiven. And that's really what He came here to do, to get our sins forgiven. And He preached that message. May this make an effect on our lives today as Your Holy Spirit empowers this Word. In Your Son's name, Amen. Well, let's get right to it because we're in the book of Mark and that's what Mark does. He doesn't leave you hanging. He doesn't do commercials or anything. Boom! He just goes in from one action to another one. And so we get this scene. Here's the stage. It's all set up This uh, earlier that day on the Sabbath. It's on a Sabbath day. Remember that. And on this Sabbath day, went to synagogue. That's the natural thing to do. You're, uh, you're a Jewish person. You go there. And of course, he's a traveling type rabbi. They ask him to teach the Word of God, to preach. And he did. That's what he does. That's what he came here for, as he says. So he preaches the Word. And uh, then he's interrupted by the demon. And what does he do? He casts that demon out. And he says, stop. Stop your interrupting me. And of course he called him the Holy One and we used that as a jumping off point and kind of the title for our message last week because even the demon recognized that he's holy. He's a holy God. Jesus is holy. And so that's the whole point uh, of, of what we want to look at. We want to see his holiness. That's the best part of all of our ministries. We want to emphasize the holiness of God. Now, there are a lot of things, you know, that can, we can have a lot of benefits out of salvation. It's great, hey, that's just, you know, preach it on. You know, it's great. The biggest thing is where you always start. And where you start with prayer, when you start with your reading, I don't care what you do, start off with the holiness of God. Having that high view of Him, right? And when you have that, that's just like in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And that's, that's a good model for prayer. Start off with that. Don't start off with your own little deal. Start off with how and how great and who He is. And that's the best way to view Him. Well, with that being said, they come out of the synagogue. They just worship. It's kind of like, hey, church, what do you do? What do you do after church? We go home or go somewhere and go eat. <laughs> and that's exactly what uh, Jesus probably has in mind. Uh, the disciples are probably thinking that, but I'll tell you what, they have something else on their mind. Their mother, uh, or Peter's mother-in-law, is very, very sick. High fever. Probably would have died had it gone much longer. It's a serious, serious thing. So you have here in verse 29, immediately after they came out of the synagogue, and the day is Jesus, it's, James and John, and then of course Peter and Andrew who live in this house, which happens to be where? Where's the synagogue? Capernaum. And that's the big fishing place. That's where the disciples made their living and Jesus said, hey, follow me. They left their businesses and now they're, they're following Him, but they took Him to synagogue. They're there. Now they say, hey, come on to uh, the house. Uh, I'll tell you later how close that house was to the synagogue. And we'll move on with that. Um, Probably sometime around noon. That's usually when the synagogue would, would get out. We can relate to this, can't we? A lot of things in the synagogue happens just like what uh, we do. They would pray. Uh, they would read scriptures. They would do singing. They'd read some more scriptures. Um, they would have uh, a word preached out of, uh, 
out of the scriptures. And so uh, that's what they've been doing. Jesus had just done an amazing, supernatural phenomenon. He cast out a demon. And I'm going to use this loosely. In church. Church means uh, ecclesia, called outings. Synagogue is very close to that. It's the ones who gather. And uh, they're in this building, but they are the people there uh, also. Delivered a demon out of man, and it was on the Sabbath. Yeah, you caught that, right? It's on the Sabbath. Now, that's got to be bothering people. You know, I mean, they're seeing this thing. They're going, wow, hey, is this okay? That's a work. Of course, there have been any Pharisees there, which hopefully not. Most of those guys are down in Jerusalem. Jesus really was able to get away with a lot of things up there north. But um, at any rate, they didn't want to stone him there. It didn't sound like there were any questions asked. Uh, people are kind of uh, alarmed, I'm sure, that uh, on this day of the week there was a healing or a, a, a casting out of a demon. Many would have liked to have gone with Jesus. <laughs> I'm sure they had a lot of questions, but somehow him and the disciples, uh, the, the four, are going to be allowed to go to the house. I'm thinking that the people are so astonished, they're thinking, my... Um, you know, my brother. Wow, he's got, he's got this he's got this condition uh, in his lungs. It's like pneumonia, but it looks like he's going to die. I wonder if Jesus could do something. He got some people that uh, have maybe a mother, father, sister, a paralytic. Um, some of them don't have any legs, no arms. Some of them are blind. Now these people are thinking, oh man, if he could do that, and he's already done miracles in Capernaum. He could do the same thing with them. And so, they're going to go home. They're going to get all their people together they can imagine who they want to get healed because He can do it. He put on a display that just blew people away. It did. And that's the literal meaning of that word. So, I'm just not using the American slang. <laughs> um, but it knocked them out of their minds. And they can't wait. But the problem is, it is the Sabbath. Right? They're going to have to carry people there. I said carry people there. Because a lot of people can't walk or they're deathly sick. They're going to have to put them in pallets, whatever. They're going to go home, get them ready, and you can't carry people on that day. You only walk a half a mile. So they're going to have to, to go and they're thinking, when this Sabbath is over, I know where I'm going. You guys know where you're going? I mean, you see this. You see this happen. You want to hang around this guy, Right? I mean, there's something big happening. This is a pretty big town. Are you getting the idea? I mean, this is exciting, folks. I'm t- the, you know, you've read this, you've heard this many times. And I know when you go into a text, you automatically say, okay, I'm going to shut this down because I already know I'll do some thinking here as to what the next section is. Oh, I've seen that before too. The Gospels are very familiar. But don't let them be too familiar where you start skipping over precious passages that will just speak aloud to us here today, Okay? Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? That's what they're thinking. Now, I wouldn't mind going home with him and eating with him. Just kind of tap into his brain a little bit, right? Okay, now, this is the home of Peter and Andrew. After immediately they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon is going to be later named Peter, which is the rock, which is an interesting name because the rock wasn't so much a rock a lot of the time. But, so when Jesus knows that he's not a rock, he calls him Simon. But whenever Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, what does he say? Peter. That confession you just made. Yeah, he calls him Peter, or the rock. Well, anyway. Now, these guys live in Capernaum because a great place to fish. They're right on the shore. Not a bad place to be. They had lived in Bethsaida. But now they live in Capernaum, which really is going to be the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. Not Nazareth, but up in Capernaum. And that's the place where when he does get a chance to kind of shut down for a little bit, and he doesn't really shut down, but he goes back to his headquarters time and time again with Peter and Andrew. So they probably relocated from Bethsaida because of the fishing business. If you turn to 
Mark 2, verse 1. That's not too hard to find, is it? When he had come back to Capernaum, see, he left Capernaum, he and the disciples, they went and healed a leper and that story. And then Mark says, well, he came back to Capernaum several days after and it was heard that he was at home. Jesus is at home. Uh, we also hear that he says, I don't have a home. You know, the, the birds, the foxes, they have their homes. He didn't have a personal home. Uh, he didn't have a palace. Uh, you know, it wasn't his own place that he lived, but he would stay in different places. And he stayed with Peter and Andrew and Peter's wife and uh, uh, mother in law. So it has to be a pretty big house. <laughs> uh, if you turn to chapter 3, verse 20, just going through Mark here is pretty simple. And he came home. Again, he had been out with the disciples. As a matter of fact, he selected the twelve. So still early in the ministry. He came home and the crowd gathered again. <laughs> More disciples. And now the crowds are even bigger, folks. At home in where? Capernaum. To such an extent that they couldn't even eat a meal. They don't have hospitals. They just go to Peter's house. When Jesus shows up. Oh, wow. They couldn't even... There wasn't even time to eat. Well, I'll tell you, there's got to be some private time somewhere, right? Well, that's why they had to leave Capernaum quite frequently. 9.33. They came to Capernaum. Again, they've been out again. See, you notice they go out and then they come back. And when he was in the house, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? In case you wanted to read on down there, they uh, had their little discussion that um, they didn't know he knew, but it was about being first. You know, people thinking about themselves. Folks, we, every one of us here, have that problem. You know, who's going to be first in the kingdom? Jesus, he just couldn't get that across to them until later when the Holy Spirit came into them and, and filled them. Uh, amazing things happen when the Holy Spirit comes in. They just couldn't get that. They were after things for themselves. We die to selves, don't we? That's what we're to do. Well, they arrived at uh, Simon Peter's house. Disciples stay there quite often, as does Jesus. Peter lives with his wife there, mother-in-law, brother Andrew. Ooh, I, I hope this is a pretty big house. There will be a big house. Traditional house of Peter. There is a traditional house of Peter in Capernaum. And uh, from some very key people who have visited there would tell you that this is probably the house of Peter. This is probably where he lived. And I want to tell you, Peter just wasn't a guy with a, with a hook and a fishing rod. Peter... Uh, was up on the chain a little bit more than that. Um, in some ways, they have excavated this house where they say that this is possibly Peter's place. And a lot of those places they say possibly, and you know they'll have a monastery, they'll have some kind of church over it, and everything, and they'll say this is where it's at. And a lot of times that's a bunch of baloney, or sometimes it could be true. We don't know. Uh, I'll give you a little bit more facts on this in a moment, but I want to tell you, in that uh, excavations, they say there were multiple kitchens there. Um, they found millstones for uh, for the grain. They found stairways to the roof, and that was quite uh, familiar back at that time, to have stairways that go up on a house, and then they'd have a flat roof, and people would just stay up there during the, the night, uh, stay cool during the summertime. Um, what's really interesting about this is that there's sacred devotional type graffiti written on the stone at this place in Greek and in Latin and in Syriac and also in Aramaic. And written on here on this kind of this plaster stuff shows that it was a gathering had to be a gathering place for Christians. Okay, we're getting the idea here. And most likely it was a church. In a house. That's where they first met, anyway. And it goes back to the end, get this, of the first century. We're getting pretty close. Okay, first century is the time of Jesus, and then Peter, you know, then the apostles, and of course John went all the way up to 90. Peter, 60 some odd, right? 
whatever. So they're close enough that those people either knew Peter, knew about him from other people who did know Peter, so they're only a generation or so away, and they're saying, yeah, this is Peter the Apostle. This is where he lived. This was the headquarters for Jesus and his ministry. Very strong possibility that could be. As far as the synagogue goes, now catch this. There is uh, there has been unearthed there. First of all, there's a small building that's standing there. And there's a monastery there. It's a really small place. But there's also ruins. The rest of the synagogue is in ruins in Capernaum and perhaps you've seen that. You know, there are walls standing up, you know, and you can kind of walk around and they're pretty, pretty good sized. That's a synagogue. Well, this is probably the synagogue that we're talking about right here. Very, very possible. Or at least you can see how something like that could be. And they would build over synagogues. If, if they get uh, blown away by the enemy or whatever, get knocked down or what, whatever would happen, they would build then another synagogue over on top of that and then keep building. They have tells all over Israel. You know, archaeological digs and they come up with these hills. Hills, tells. That's what they are. And they'll, they'll see things going way down below underneath. Many years, battles and such. So, the synagogue and Peter's house was very close. It was a one-minute walk to Peter's house from the synagogue. Very possibly, I'm not trying to be dogmatic, but from the remains and the excavations they've had, I think that's rather enlightening. I'm glad it was only about a minute because Jesus and the disciples probably got over there pretty quick. That sounds like walking from here to over there to the, the square in, at Lincoln. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that'd take about a minute, wouldn't it? Some of you have to park over somewhere around here lately. Sorry about that. I really am. We're trying to work on that. Um, what about Peter's mother-in-law? Well, Peter's married. And I know some people go, No, oh, he can't be married. In the Roman Catholic Church, I'm just I'm bringing out facts here. I'm not running anybody down. But the Roman Catholic Church declares that Peter is the first pope. And everything has succeeded from him on down. I'm just taking facts. This is what they say. Here's what the Bible says. Peter is married. Well, they say popes, cardinals, bishops, priests, nuns, anybody that's a leader in the Roman Catholic Church cannot be married. The problem is, Peter and apostles were married. Peter was supposed to be the first pope. Where do they get that? They forbid marriage. It says that in, in, uh, I think it's in Timothy. Watch out for people who forbid marriages that are against marriages. What what are they doing? Well, look at, let's look in First Corinthians nine five. It says here clearly this is Peter's mother in law here in Mark. Let's let's get some let's dig a little bit more and find out. Well, is that is that mother in law? What, what does it mean? It's, it doesn't mean he's married, does it? It must mean that that's his mother's sister. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about there, right? Um. Here's Paul writing. It says, Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? By the way, did you notice there? A believing wife? If men are looking for women and they don't care if they're believers or not, that's sin. Women, same way. You have to have a believer. That's a command for believers. Not to be unequally yoked, as Paul will say, right? So I just threw that in. Worth a dime. 15 cents maybe. Pretty good. You guys already know that. A believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. I think there's a point that Paul is making here. It is okay. It's good to be married. Matter of fact, it's good for the apostles. Peter was married. I have confronted this with uh, some good friends who have differed. And I'm going, what do you do with Scripture here? We, I mean, this is as clear as can be. There's no, there's no Greek, Latin, Syriac, Aramaic discussion here. This is, we're talking about a wife, not a cousin. When it says brother in, in, in the Bible, it means brothers and sisters. There's another word for cousins. Uh, so when it says Jesus had brothers and sisters, that word is specific and it means He had that. He had family. That means Mary was not a perpetual virgin. 
And we can go over scriptures, but that's not dealing with the text. But I am dealing with this. And I think it's very enlightening. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. That's a major error. And that's saying that, well, our authority is not the Bible in that sense then. Our authority is us. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Here is a qualification for an overseer, a pastor, a bishop, elder. An overseer then must be above reproach the husband of one wife. A bishop, an elder, pastor. That means a husband of one wife. Why would anybody forbid a wife? Runs into a lot of problems too because you get homosexual problems. My big problem in that particular church and that too, isn't there? And all the different things that they do with little boys, little girls. Stories run rampant down through the years. If you want to do some research on that, you'll be blown away. No biblical foundation. Peter had a wife. Enough said, right? Clear as can be. Okay. That's important. Now, why do I say that? Well, Peter lives with his wife. Peter lives with his mother-in-law. Or she happens to be there. And Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with fever. She's sick. Now, if you look in Luke 4.38, this is uh, another gospel account. And there will be one word in there that can give us a little bit more detail. Got up, left synagogue, verse 38, entered Simon's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. Okay, here it's talking about she's having a fever. It sounds like, ah, she's a little bit sick. Luke is a doctor. And so, not that Mark is wrong, but it's nice to put all the accounts together and they all come together. And you go, wow, okay, now I get a complete story. Matthew reports on this too, in Matthew 8. We might refer to that later. But the word here for uh, fever means originally meant wood for fire. We're talking about fire. We're talking about burning with a sincere fever. And also, whenever Luke says it, says a high fever. And the word in the Greek is megas. Mega. Does that give you an idea? I don't have to really explain mega, do I? Do I? <laughs> do I? Mega, do I? Mega. Big, high. Overextend. I mean, this is dangerous, people. That's what we're talking about here. This is not a migraine headache. You know, a little cold. This is a serious thing, as Luke is putting out here. She was lying in bed prostrate. <laughs> That is the idea there. Jesus walks in her midst. She didn't go to synagogue that day. And it's interesting that um, Peter and Andrew actually did. But you remember that probably his wife stayed there with her. And so they come back. I think they have an idea. (laughs) Yeah. Immediately, as they go home, uh, they're going to uh, ask Jesus something here. They knew that he was certainly capable of making her well. They knew that. And you know what? The first thing that we should do when we need, when things get really rough, and not just rough, just when things are going really good, (laughs) the things were really rough, rather than turn your eyes on the problem that you're in, guilty, what do we do? We turn our attention to the Lord. He's much bigger than the problem. But if I emphasize my problem, you know what happens? My problem doesn't get less. You know what it does? My problem grows. And it grows now. I've made it much bigger than even what it is. Right? You guys you guys aren't even shaking your head. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We focus right on that problem. That's the natural tendency of man and the flesh to do. But we're here to break this. We're to learn that, okay, I'm going to go to the Lord because He's so much bigger than this. Why should I let this eat me up? He says, listen, you can just go ahead and rip yourself to shreds. You can have ulcers and everything else. But He says, I'm here. Why don't you call on me? He says, well, I have been calling on you every day. Yeah. Uh-huh. Keep doing it. Am I in control? Yeah. <laughs> Well, the request was, Luke said, can you heal my mother, our mother-in-law? <laughs> That's what's happening here. Can you heal our mother-in-law? They know that. You know what? In Luke 4.23, it 
there wasn't just this synagogue thing that happened on this Sabbath. Jesus has been in Capernaum before. Aha! Have you heard about that? Luke 4. Did I say 23? Good. Because I think that's where I'm going to try to go. Uh, He said to them, no doubt, you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. When was this? Back in Nazareth. When he got up and stood... Preached, read the word, and then said, "This, you know, the word says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel." Right? That was in Nazareth. What happened whenever He started saying, "God has chosen people that He goes to besides Israel, and there are certain people that He's going to save." That's when He turned to the sovereignty of God in salvation, and the people wanted to kill Him. It's the most hated doctrine there is. That's why they wanted to kill him. You heard what I said there, right? If you want to read that text, go ahead. It's about Elijah and Elisha going to the Syrians. Syrians? Oh man, that's the word. Those guys are enemies of Israel today. Syria, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, the Arabs. That's who we're talking about. Zarephath, the, the Sidonians, a woman who's a widow. And he said, God turned to them, didn't turn to the Israelites at that time. Oh, no! And so they, well, they want to kill him. He got out of there. He didn't come back. He didn't come back there. It's his hometown. They didn't want him. But, but what's, what's, Dennis, what was the text? Well, why did you read that? He says, well, whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. It really wasn't a wedding. What's the deal? He had been in Capernaum before he came back to Nazareth, his hometown. He had been doing miracles up there already. Do what you did up there. You come here and you do those those things too. So you see the timing of this now? Do you see where we're at? He's, he's already done miracles at Capernaum. And then he did this thing. He came back and did the thing in the synagogue. Disciples know. They know about him. People in Capernaum already. I mean the whole town. Every last single person knows about Jesus. I got a feeling that synagogue was packed that day anyway. If they knew he was there. And if they didn't, they're saying, hey, I'm going to go visit him. Now, speaking of cures, Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the cure for everything. I mean, He is it. No one actually really was cured of diseases until 1885. A little over 100 years ago. I mean, that's rather remarkable. The time that we live in, it, it is staggering. All the different technology that has happened. It's staggering to look at the technology in the last five years. In the ancient world, they didn't know what we know in modern medicine. We know there have been brain surgeries and they found some amazing things in Egypt and such. They didn't know about viruses and bacteria. There's no really much account on that kind of thing. People just languished. If you had a disease, you had some kind of uh, bacteria in you that was giving you severe infections. You languished and you eventually you just died. You produce a high fever. With, with infections come what? Fever. And of course, with Anna, that's what's happening there. There's got to be some kind of infection. That's what they're trying to find out. You think they kind of know now. So, you know, the fever is just telling you, hey, we've got a problem here. That's God's gift. Did you know that pain is a gift? You ever read that book by Dr. Brand? Pain is a gift. Because if you don't have pain, then you, you could be like a leper who doesn't feel anything and they go and touch stoves. They, they burn themselves and they don't even know because they don't feel it. It's a good thing to have pain even though nobody likes it. But it, it, there's nothing wrong with the pain. There's something that's at the root of this that's the problem. And, and we've got to get to that, right? So, with Peter here, you know, and, and his wife and his mother-in-law. This is a family crisis. They were concerned just like we were concerned last night when we heard the news about Anna. Okay? So it's clear the reason they invited Jesus to lunch. (laughs) They're hanging out with Him anyway. Why wouldn't they, right? He's probably already been there. 
But uh, I don't know. Maybe he just got there. Maybe he had been praying all the night before and went to synagogue and they said, hey, can you come over to the house? Uh, well, anyway, look at this. Immediately, they spoke to Jesus about her. They asked, would you, would you heal her? And he came to her and raised her up. She's laying prostrate. She's laying flat out. Okay, she can't. She can't get up. She can't raise herself. How did he do this? Well, he took her by the hand. You look at the other uh, accounts, and uh, took her by the hand, raised her up, just pulled her up, and he didn't ask her if she had enough faith. None of that. Luke adds he rebuked the fever. That's like he, he just said, "Go away, fever." I mean, that's what he does. Storm, stop. I mean, instantly. There's no waiting. I mean, boom. I mean, in a nanosecond, all of a sudden, the fever's gone. A fever obeys. (laughs) When all the causes of the fever, they all disappear right there. Go away, fever. Luke 4.39 basically is what it's saying. Now, this, this is, you know, I think God sometimes wants to have a little bit of humor in with this. I mean, I can't help but smiling every time I read this. He took her by the hand. Fever left her. And she waited on him. I don't think it's saying she waited on him. I think it's saying, you want to know something? She waited on him after this. Have you ever had a fever? you ever been sick? I mean, really sick? Had a high fever? You don't feel like doing it. You're weak. Yeah, you feel a little better, but you're so weak, you're knocked out. I mean, you're woozy. You're dizzy. You know, you don't want to do anything. Now think of the times that they lived in. Okay, she's going to get up, and she's going to start serving people. And and who's not only Jesus? She served him in one of the accounts, and then another accounts here. She waited on them. We're talking about four fishermen. We're talking about four. Grown, maybe maybe they're all grown, but grown men. I mean, these guys are probably pretty big. They're men. And she's going to feed them along with Jesus and even Peter's wife, maybe. She, I mean, she's going to... And she's going to feed herself, too. No microwaves. No stoves. <laughs> no refrigerators. No grocery stores. No pizza takeouts. No restaurants. To say, hey, let's all get up. Let's go over there to Max, man, and uh, it's on me. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I think there's a lesson in here for us, too. She is a woman. She is serving. She's doing something that she does. This is her life. This speaks to the... Do they use the word women's lib anymore? I don't think they have to. It's already invaded our society. Women are looked down upon if they don't... And I'm not saying it's wrong for women to work. Don't get me wrong here, guys. I'm saying women are looked down upon if they stay home and they... What are they called? Housewives? What is it? Homemakers. Homemakers. Our society has led us in to think everybody has to be a professional. Everybody has to have a job. So women need to work outside the home and don't bake cookies. You remember the, the Hillary Clinton thing, you know, about baking cookies. and It's making fun at women for spending their time doing those kind of things when there are more important things in society. The most important part of society is the home. We've lost that. That's what's wrong. The home is gone. Women are not home. Men are not home. And the kids, when, they're not, uh, when they come home, they come home to empty homes. A lot of times it's just a one person there, uh, a wife, I mean a, a mother, a single mom. It's sad. I'm speaking to our times. But this is a good thing that women would, would wait on their family and do what they're supposed to do. We've got it all wrong and backwards. 
we're thinking women have to. Now, there are situations where women are single and they have to work or they have no other option or uh, where our society has gotten to where it's, it's hard to make it, you know, money-wise. But if you have kids, especially the, the younger kids, uh, I mean, they need somebody raising them. And they need their mom. They need their dads. They need them. So do you see what she did here was a, a, a natural thing? I, I brought this out because I heard uh, Alistair Begman. Now, I wouldn't ever caught this. And then I got to thinking, you know, this is speaking to our times. Don't let society bring you into its mold. Do you see what it's done? We think just like the world sometimes that that's the way it's supposed to be. You have to do it this way and this way and that's the only way it's going to work now. You know, And if you, if you don't do it that way, then you're considered odd and the rest of society will laugh at you. But I want to tell you that I think there's something here in, in what happened with that. Now, she's going to feed all these. This was all instant. I mean, as soon as he lifted her up, said, get out of her, fever's gone, and like that. Oh, what do you guys want to eat? <laughs> Amazing. You know what? I'm going to speak to another thing about what has happened in our society. I'm running it. I'm hitting it hard. Don't get mad at me, guys. Don't get mad at me. There are people today who say they're healers. What do we make of this? What do we make of all these guys running around saying they are healers? Do they really do what Jesus did? And as we look through the book of Mark, I think we have to see what Jesus really did in those miracles. Do they do what He did? Do they go from town to town healing everybody who comes to them? And I mean everybody. Did you hear that? Everybody. And He doesn't ask for money. That's that's a big thing amongst the healers. If there are healers like Jesus, I would like to meet them. You know what I'd do? I'd invite everybody in here who has ailments, starting with my family, this church, people I know, people that's close to me, and I'd take them all to them, those healers, and have them heal. That's what I would do. Matter of fact, one better. I would love to have that gift. Because you know what I'd want to do? I'd go into the hospitals. I would go into the doctor's offices. I would go into pharmacies where people are getting the drugs and say, hey, listen, uh, and just pray there and say, what's this? What do you have? Be gone, fever. You don't need the drugs. You're done. Man, just like that. If, if I had the healing power that Jesus had, that's what I would want to do. I've got a feeling every one of you guys would like to do that too. You know what? Go into St. Mary's and go through every room in there. Pray with them and heal them. That's what Jesus did. And that's what, that's what we're going to prove as we go through here. Do the so-called healers go to the hospitals? Do they go to where the sick are? That's where Jesus did. Do they cure them instantly? It's necessary for me to say this, folks, because there are people duping the church today. They're false healers. They claim to be able to heal. You know what they do? They prey on people's sicknesses. And when I say pray, I mean P-R-E-Y, like ravenous wolves. They prey on people who are suffering. And if you don't have enough faith and you don't get healed at that moment, then your faith is not good enough. It's because of you. And I have seen countless people by working at the store who have told me story after story after story. And I get irate. I know I'm hitting this hard, but people who were waiting on a healing. They waited. They kept going to the church. People kept praying for them. And then they'd say, well, you don't have enough faith. Time after time I heard this. It made me sad. It made me sick. And a lot of those people, you know what happens eventually? They walk out of the church. And that's it because God didn't heal them because they didn't have enough faith. And so they're distraught. It's because of them. I didn't believe. The people who prey on these people are the lowest of the low. They're the basis of the base. You don't get any lower than these people who 
are rich. And they have million dollar homes. And they promise healings to suffering people and a healing that they cannot deliver. <coughs> all the promises. I think of guys like Benny Hinn and all of his ilk. Say, if you send me your seed fake, you send me your money, I'll pray over your letter. God will send you a healing. That's easy to do, isn't it? Makes me sick. I grieve in my heart. Listen, God is not going to have people like that to be healers who have terrible theology. He'll never bless that. And the theology of Benny Hinn, there are nine gods. You can go on and on about his theology. It's heinous. It's a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ and God. Misrepresentation of the Word of God. Uh, these people get their money taken. They still are sick. The problem is we're, we're living during, uh, since the fall of man. Christ has been here. And yes, He does save us. And yes, He does take some things away. We, we pray. We pray for people that they would be made well. We do that in this church. We know that God is the one who heals. But there's a different kind of healing. A lot of times He uses natural processes. He even uses doctors. He even uses medicines. And of all things, nutrition. <laughs> Before you get sick is even better. You know, Of course, many of you are familiar with a man attack and, and different things that can help. You know, Look at that. In, in our times, that we, can, uh, we live longer than, than ever before. Uh, there are some good things about that. But the thing is, disease is still a terrible reality. People still die of cancer that are Christians who believe. There's, there's people like Johnny who's a quadriplegic. I'd love for somebody to go out. The best thing I could ever hear, you know. Somebody go right up to her and heal her and boom, she pops out and just starts walking. But Johnny is one of the best expressions of what faith is. It's trusting in God even when this terrible thing about the flesh is making, making it hard. Ancient times, everybody kind of lived like what was happening in Israel. You think of, of today when you think of India and Bangladesh and Africa, all the suffering that's going on there. We send doctors there, and there are some amazing things. And believe me, God does heal some of these people in some kind of dramatic way. He can do that. But He's not using one man just like Jesus did. I, I don't know of those guys. And you might be able to name a few and you find out. You go trace and find out what those guys did. Well, what about Benny Hinn? What about all those hundreds and thousands that he did? Well, it's been tracked down by different people who checked those people out, made efforts, went to their homes, found or, or, or got doctor's reports. These people weren't even sick or they had migraines and all of a sudden they feel better, psychosomatic things. We're, we're talking here the, the kind of diseases and uh, possessions and, and uh, arms being grown back on people that Jesus did. That's not happening. That's not happening. You hear those stories, but go check them out and you find out Benny Hinn, the best he could come up with is five people. And then they checked those five out thoroughly, went to doctors and hospitals and come to find out those were made up stories too. Out of thousands, out of millions of people that are supposed to be healed, that's what I'm saying. It was it's, you know, the verifiable proof. These guys prey on people. They want your money. So I have to say this. Um, remember, there's always been people that have had, um, like back in the 1800s, the covered wagons, the snake oil. Remember that? You remember the, the TV shows? Selling snake oil. Take advantage of sick people. Get the money. Cults, they promise healings. Do the same thing. Don't take me wrong. I believe in a sovereign God. He can heal at any time. We need to pray. God can do it, and He can do it on instant. I've seen Him do that. So I never give up on God. I'm just—it's just not a person that's going to go around doing what Jesus did. What do we make of these healers? What do we make of people? Well, I've seen them on TV where they threw away their canes and they—they they left their wheelchairs when they came up in, and they just got up and started walking. What do we do with those guys? I watched Oral Roberts back in the '60s. 50s and 60s. As a kid, I watched it a lot and I go, wow, this is amazing. Sunday afternoons. I bought all those stories as a kid. Well, it must be something happening there. Uh, let me tell you, they have got some great actors. 
Oral Roberts did want to establish a hospital, physical and uh, kind of a spiritual healing. And that's kind of getting on a, on a right circle, but now you go down there now, and that place is not that. Um, is this for real? A lot of shams, folks. Well, if they all got together, here's what I'd say. If they're out there, you know what I would want them to do? If they're really healing, here's what I'd say. Why don't about 20 of you guys, or two or three, four or five of you, why don't you go ahead, and I want to watch this, because this is going to be amazing to me. Go through a hospital. You're a healer. You're healed just like Jesus. Jesus' power is available today just like it was whenever He walked the earth. I'm going to watch you do this. Go into a room where people are deathly ill or have cancers, leukemias. You go in there and you heal them and have them walk out of the hospital right now. And you know what? If that happened, I would tend to believe that it's really happening. See, they're safe in their tents. They're safe in their buildings and on the TV set, the studio, because those are set up. And it's a nice environment. If God wanted to heal, He will do it. But He's not going to use a sham artist and bad theology. And I say that because we're dealing with healings right here. And I want to get the proper context because Jesus' miracles are totally different. And I'm going to show you what the difference is between the TV healers and the healer. Jesus. I never want Jesus to be delineated in that He's on the same level as these healers. Okay? Jesus healed with a word or a touch. Doesn't have to do that. You just say it. It's done. That's all it takes. They don't have to fall on the floor. It's demonic. Healed instantly. Just like that. I've heard people say, well, I've been healed ever since I was healed a year ago. I'm getting a lot better. (laughs) What in the world is that? That's not Jesus' healing. Healed instantly. It was all instantaneous. He healed totally. He just didn't give a partial healing, but He healed totally. You know something else? He healed everybody. Did you hear me? Not one out of ten. Or ten out of a thousand. Everybody. Hundreds. Thousands. I'll go on to say tens of thousands. This is a highly populated area. I don't know how many. Hundred thousand? Maybe more. Look in Luke 4.40. This is the healer, folks. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Him. As you can imagine, everybody in that synagogue knew somebody that was sick. And they probably knew more than one or two. And they brought them all there. But remember, it said the whole city. I mean, we're talking... How many? Man, a lot. And laying His hands on each one of them, He was healing them. Even the demons are coming out. He's rebuking them, right? Each one of them. Every one of them. Everyone. You didn't have to qualify to make it to the healing line. You notice that people missing a limb or people paralyzed never make it to the TV healing line? Or people who have no eyeballs? Healed everyone. The blind. The lame. One leg, no leg, two legs, just like that. Absolutely everyone. You know what? Most of them weren't even believers. These were unbelievers. They can't have faith. Although some of them do. He's amazed whenever he sees somebody have faith. But he doesn't do it on condition. If you believe in me, I will heal you. You'll see something of that sort. But we're talking about somebody who ultimately, they will become believers after this. They may not. Some of them, it's not even guaranteed they become Christians after that. They're healed physically, but that doesn't necessarily mean a spiritual healing. And that's the biggest kind. That is the ultimate What happens if everybody is all well now and they still aren't trusting in Christ? Well, for the rest of eternity. That's what we're dealing with. He healed organic disease. He didn't heal lower back pain or headaches, heart palpitations. He reversed paralysis. He reversed palsy. 
things that were undeniably supernatural is what he did. You couldn't just, they weren't just some kind of psychosomatic things. And he raised dead people. I don't see fake healers in the funeral lines trying to relieve people suffering by raising their dead. You don't see that, do you? You don't see them going to funerals like Jesus did in a funeral line. They were marching him and the, the, the boy he raised up came back to life. Jesus did all this healing in full public view where everybody could see it. In a different location. He didn't set up a tent and have magical acts going around. Not some kind of a fixed environment where you can make it work like Peter Popoff did. Peter Popoff's still doing that. He was caught. He was caught by uh, uh, several people, but there were people who followed him and they saw how he did it and what, he, what the things that he did. That's the kind of trickery that's, that's going on. Circumstances, they were always in the open. Jesus let them see it right before their eyes. Oh, by the way, his miracles didn't require the faith, as we're talking about. If you believe, I'll raise you. Somebody that's dead? If you believe, I'll raise you. They're dead. <laughs> He healed unbelievers. Okay, now we move on. Okay, second part. And you're going, oh no. (laughs) I know. Okay, now all this follows suit here. You know, I'm on my last page. There are five pages that I have here. and, And we've done four pages. So, we're pretty good, right? Okay. When evening came, now it's on the same day, the Sabbath. Remember, they've gone to the synagogue. And I hope what I'm saying you're able to follow because I'm not trying to pick on people. I'm just saying, let's look at facts. I don't think there's ever been a healer like Jesus. Does God heal? Yes. Can God use somebody? Yeah, He can do that. But are they going to naturally just go around everywhere anytime they want to do it and heal people? No, they don't. They say, well, they've got to have faith. Hmm. Okay? When evening came... After the sun had set, are you catching this? Sabbath, sun setting, uh, let's say 6 o'clock or after. As soon as the sun set, I like this. I get a smile on this one. After the sun had set, immediately, you know, Mark could say that. It just set, and they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon possessed. They couldn't wait. They, they were people who were bound by the Sabbath. And as soon as that Sabbath day is over, as soon as the evening hits, it's now Sunday at 6 o'clock in the evening. Right? That's when their day starts. And so now they're bringing them. They're carrying them. That's the idea. They're carrying them. They're getting other people. They're putting them on pallets, however they can get them there. Who knows? They might have put them in carts and rolled them there. Whatever it took, they got them there. And uh, I'm t- uh, probably some were saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go back and go get uh, Joseph too. You know, So I'm going to have to bring him back here and... Oh my, this is, this is just crazy what's happening here. All these people, they began bringing to Him. That means an ongoing thing. They just kept coming and kept coming, kept coming. You would think it was a Cardinal ball game at Bush Stadium. The crowd just keeps coming. It was a Sabbath, and here are these people now. It's over. They waited till that time. Of course, in Jeremiah 17.24, uh, you look at that and it says something about... Um, your Sabbath laws, but remember, people put on more laws than on themselves than what they really needed to. But it will come about if you listen attentively to me, declares the Lord, to bring no load, no load to not carry in through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but to keep the Sabbath day holy by doing no work on it. He's just saying, don't don't be working on the on the Sabbath. Don't be bringing in those loads and doing business like you do every day. Well, they started coming up with rules saying you can only walk a half mile. You can't carry anything. If you carry, you lift the least little thing like what I did right here. My, that's work. See, I lifted that up. And, uh, wow, I broke the law. Okay, uh, women, you can't, you can't brush your hair because you just lifted your arm up and you did action. You did work. No, you can't do that. You, 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 right? Okay. So they're really bound by that. That's their own laws. Jesus never made those up. And now we move on. And it says, um, the whole city had gathered at the door. I'm not so sure how many that is, but I'm sure that most of the city probably was there. When it says, oh, you know, every man, woman, and child is at the case, I think it's saying a lot of people. Uh, I think it's saying a lot of people. It means to gather with others and settle together in groups. Groups. 
are coming, settling together there. They're bringing everybody who possibly could. They've seen Jesus do this at the synagogue this morning. They had heard about this a few weeks ago when He had been doing amazing miracles. He never refused anybody. And there was a steady stream. The demonized. All the sick. The paralyzed. They're all, they just kept coming and coming and coming in droves. This is the biggest news that had ever hit this part of the country ever. I'd say so. Can you imagine what kind of news this had been? And they're, walk, they're seeing the people walk out of there. The people who had been paralyzed, for instance, all of a sudden they're walking out and they're going, yeah, and, and you're next. You're, you're, this is going to happen to you. And they're, you know, they're walking out and they're, they're jumping and who knows, you know, I mean, they're rejoicing. And He's just healing everybody. Jesus healed them all. It says many. Um, he healed many who were ill with various diseases. How many is many? I think we're talking thousands, folks. Hundreds at least. I, we're talking many. That's the idea of the many here. It's so many people. Huge numbers. An immense amount. No, no disease ever took Jesus by surprise. Ooh. I haven't seen that one before. Can you step aside over here? I'll get to you a little later. I've got to think about this. They all were healed. Instantly. Totally. Unconditionally. Just like Peter's mother-in-law. Get out of her. Peter was gone. Look at Matthew 8.16. Another parallel account. I gotta move on here now. Okay, ready? Boom. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. That's what he does. That's what he does. This is unparalleled. Nothing like this had ever been done before. They say this again in Mark two twelve. Nobody ever seen like this. And he got up, immediately picked up. This is the paralytic that's healed on the pallet. He got up, immediately picked up the pallet, went out in the sight of everyone. <laughs> they all knew this guy. So they were all amazed. And what did they do? They were glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. That's what's going on. This is real. So don't get in your head some of the healings that you're thinking that happened today where you know supposedly one out of three or four people get healed. We're talking about Jesus is healing them all. This is real. This is not any kind of little show that He's putting on. During our Lord's ministry, I want to tell you, there was an unparalleled healing explosion that had never been there before and has never been like that again. He virtually banished diseases in all of Israel. I mean, when Jesus left this earth in Israel, there weren't many diseases that were left. And I'm wondering why there were any. Some people didn't like him. And remember, there were only 120 in that room, in the upper room, whenever they waited for the power of the Spirit. There were 500 in Galilee. I know there were a lot more than 500 people that had been healed. One little spot on the earth, disease is basically banished. I'm awed at that, folks. This is the kind of healer we have. And this is the one who will ultimately, as in Revelation 21 and 22, we'll see what He's going to do when the culmination really happens. A healing barrage. He affirmed the true Gospel. He's showing compassion. He's showing His authority and power. But it's not just to make people physically well. That's all it is. That's only for a few years. We're still going to die. It's a big deal. But spiritually is where it's all aiming at. Yes, He has compassion on people. We see what He's doing. He cares. Back to our mark. Are you awed at Jesus? That's what I'm trying to bring forth here. (laughs) I want our minds to expand on how great He is as He's doing this. And He healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who He was. Remember? You're the only one of God. He says, I don't need your publicity. Just shut up. He's doing His thing. He's preaching the Word of God. He's doing His, his miracles. 
And in this unparalleled time, He has authority over these demons. One last section. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. This is Sunday morning now. First day of the week. Left the house. Left the house. That's Peter's house. Went away to a secluded place and was praying there. You know what? This is where He gets His power to do what He does. It's all about prayer. That is it. I think this is a great example for us. Getting in tune, in touch with our great God. The power of His action was prayer. The proof of His person was the the, the miracles. But He was subject to the will of the Father. That's what it was all about. This is the Son. The Son of God who is in subjection to the very will. Have Thine own way, Lord. Have Thine own way. It's Your will. The power of the Spirit. He knew that. He's fully depending on the Father's will and the power of the Spirit. He was constantly praying. He would get away. He would have to go to a secluded place. And even in a secluded place, here they come! Uh, I think in another Gospel account, it's not only Simon. Simon and his companions searched for him. Other people are searching for him, I guess. Oh, hey, listen, there is one Elijah over there. We forgot about him. Here they come. Now they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone. All the people, you know, they want to. They're looking for you. And here he goes. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. We've got to get out of here. The crowds are just too much. I've got to go. That's not the way it's supposed to be. When you have the crowds, that's what you stick around, camp out, that's where it's at. And he says, No, it's too crowded. We've got to go to different people. Why? He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. This is really what I came to do. To preach the Gospel. That's what I came for. He came to be a preacher. Did you know that the Son of God, God's Son, was called to be a preacher? He preached in calling sinners to repentance. How does He seek and save the lost? By preaching. It's what I came for to preach, He says. Remember when He went to the synagogue at Nazareth just before this particular time here? He came into the synagogue and He opened up Isaiah 61. And He said, The Lord has anointed Me to preach the Gospel. And that He's going to die. The Gospel is about Him dying about Him resurrecting. The Gospel is about Him justifying His people, declared to be righteous, to be forgiven, sins washed away. And that is the supernatural event of all events. What a Savior we have. And that's why He did what He did. He went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. When he cast out the demons, there must be a ton of them up there in Galilee, those pagans. And when he does that, they hear his message and they're amazed because he backed up what he said with this astonishing, miraculous ministry that he had because he's God. He is God. He can do what he wants to do. And his word is true. Let's pray. Father, we thank